as we've studied through 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, it was unveiled, or maybe even I could say reminded, that there, there's two natures of mankind. We've seen that in chapter 2, uh, the latter part of the chapter, verses 14 to 16. And that the two natures would be seen this way, is the natural man and then the spiritual man. The natural man, the Bible helps us understand that by saying it's the natural man is, is basically of Adam, born of Adam. Meaning, back in the Garden of Eden, there's this, this line of humanity. Really, from Adam, we see from Adam, there was the fall of man. And that sinful nature is passed along humanity. So we're all born sinners, born of Adam. The spiritual man is born again, born of the Spirit. And so there's, there's two elements. There's the natural man, and then there's the spiritual man. To know God, that is to have a, a personal, uh, real, vibrant relationship, you must be born again. You, you can't just embrace the concepts and, 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 and like the principles and, and be okay with the ethics and the morality of Scripture, which will help you live a physically, outwardly better life. But the Bible says specifically, you must be born again, born of the Spirit. And so what we see as this, this letter is going along, he's teaching us that, you know, there's the natural man and the spiritual man. And some people, I find, try to live a good natural life with biblical truths, but they have not surrendered to Jesus Christ. They have not acknowledged, God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to give me this new life because I agree with you. I agree that I have sinned against you. I agree that I have things that I need to be forgiven of. I agree with you, God. And because I agree with you, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins and, and, and lead me in this new life you speak of, that I would be born of the Spirit, born again. Because we know from chapter 2, the latter part of the chapter I referenced, the natural man cannot figure out, cannot discern the things of the Spirit, for these things are spiritually discerned. And so to, if you struggle and you, you're, you're wrestling in some of these things, you just find yourself weak, you must be born again. Now, you know if you're born again or not. You know if you, you just followed religion, you inherited from family, or you followed with friends, or you know if you've, you've made that personal commitment to Jesus Christ. This part we're going to be looking at today is important to know which, where you set. 1 Corinthians 3 is, is, a, is a stern and, and actually kind of awkward or difficult dialogue. I mean, you know, Paul is the agent that the word of God is poured into and brought forth through the pen, the hand of God, or the hand of Paul, the heart of God coming through the hand of, of Paul, conveying truth. And it's actually refreshing. It's a redirection. It sounds, you know, at first glance, if you're one of the audience that he's addressing it to, it's like he's up in your grill. He's in your face a little bit. And he's calling you names almost that you're like, you're going to get defensive. Unless you can hold this truth, it's a redirect, a refreshing redirect, a reminder, if you would. Let me give you a, an analogy that I believe uh, works beautifully in my own life, um, but then we'll do, I'll share that and then we'll pray. I went on a hike some years ago, my wife and I, and it was a hike through the sawtooth wilderness 
It was a 21-mile hike, and it was through, it was from, I think we started at Pettit Lake, and it's called the Alice Toxaway Loop. So there's Alice Lake and Toxaway. We went through Farley Lake to Toxaway, and before we started, we had laid out what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go and, you know, physically prepared for it. But when you're on the loop from Farley to Toxaway Lake, I mentioned these to you because I've told you, I don't mind mentoring you. I'll give you a direction. You can go look these up. And I suggest that you do and look at the pictures of this area. It's pristine. It's phenomenal. It's an amazing um, part of Idaho's backcountry, if you would. But on that trail from Farley to Toxaway, there's a junction on the trail. And to your right is this easier downhill hike towards the Payette River. Eventually, it would take you to the city of Grand, well, the place where there's some houses called Grand Jean. It's not a city. It's pretty, pretty remote. And so the other option is to take this steep climb over what's called Snowy Side Peak. Uh, it's the highest peak in Elmore County. And you'll go up over this pass and then down where you can see Twin Lakes and lead you over into Alice Lake. So we're at this sign and we're like, okay, well, which, what are our options here? We were interested in the river route. Uh, it's easier, it's downhill. I like the river route because I like rivers. I grew up fishing rivers. I grew up, you know, that just kind of was my experience. Like, man, that would be fun to be on that section. And, but we needed to go over Snowyside Pass to get back to our vehicle and to our destination. Do you see what's happening? It's like, I, hmm, this would be. And then we actually had to quickly realize that would have to be on another time because that will not take us where we decided to go. The priority in the decision was our destination. Ease was not the priority. Preference was not the priority. Destination was the deciding factor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these beautiful, simple analogies and reminders, Lord, that although sometimes it seems easier to take the river route, sometimes it seems easier to maybe pass on involvement or do something that's simpler or easier. Ultimately, when we consider our destination, to walk closer with you and to experience life from you, to know the forgiveness you've given, to know the love you've revealed, to know the hope that you've placed within us, to know you in a deeper way. Lord, we know that there's times it's just a tough road, it's a tough route. And I just pray as we would walk through your word today that you would teach us, that you would remind us of your closeness, of your faithfulness. As you correct us and redirect us, and lead us, Lord, from just being a natural person to a mature and growing spiritual person. Lord, may you receive the glory. May we receive not just the knowledge, but the strength and courage and the will to walk according to your truth. Teach us, O oh God, in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. It addresses the carnal man. Carnal speaks of relating to, emphasizing, uh, prioritizing based on bodily desires and appetites. That's what it's talking about. Uh, interestingly enough, and there's been many theological debates and biblical wrangling, if you would, on whether a person can be born again and carnal. 
some would imply and say that, no, you can't be born again and then not follow the lordship of Jesus Christ. But we're going to see from today's text, they're referred to as your babes in Christ, meaning you're young when you should be more mature. So yes, there is an element of, of carnality that can be uh, too, too much of, a, of an emphasis, too much of a priority. Because remember, there, there, there's two types of wisdom. There's, there's two types of men, if you would, natural, and then the reborn, born again, the spiritual. But there's also two types of wisdom we've seen in James chapter 3, uh, specifically verses 13 to 18. These two types of wisdom are earthly, and I like the analogy or the thought that it's not looking up, it's looking horizontal. That the things of this life, the appetites, the desires, the pleasure, this earthly horizontal plane... And then there's heavenly wisdom, which speaks, I would give the picture, if you would, the vertical, looking to him and living here, but looking to him you know, on a heavenly plane. Well, the natural man, and, and what's referred to as the born-again person who is the carnal man, puts the horizontal first and the vertical second. They're okay with just being kind of the same. I, I've entitled this series, we're going through 1 Corinthians as called out, called up. Called out is, is based from the word ekklesia, the Greek word that describes you and me as a gathering, the church. We are called out of this world with a purpose. We're still in this world, but not of this world. We're called out, but we're not called out of it into this born-again relationship to live at a horizontal plane. We're called out and called up to have our eyes, our heart, our mind not only fixed upon God, but formed and shaped by God. The Bible would speak of not only conformed into his image and likeness, but transformed, changed from the inside out that we would properly walk with him and represent him. So, born again, born of the Spirit, we now have a choice. We can continue in our old, carnal, horizontal way of living, or we can choose to be led by God, led by the Spirit. It's not putting the emphasis upon you know, your performance. It's just your choice. You know, Joshua, a beautiful figure, person, character from the Old Testament. He followed God. He was under the leadership of Moses. And God brought about a work where he then became the one to lead the people into the promised land. And Joshua, at the end of his life, in chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua reminded the people they had a choice to live horizontal or to live vertical. As we read, it says in, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, isn't that a, a beautiful reminder of God's Re redirecting and helping Joshua late in his life, just you know, short period before his departure to be in the presence of God. He's saying not just to himself, but to those around him, listen, you can live like you used to on the other side of the river, or you can live like the people of this land on this side of the river in the promised land. But as for me and my house, we choose to be vertical, not horizontal. We, we choose to be spiritual and not carnal. And he's not saying because he's doing it, all his family is going to be forced to do it. He's just going to live as an example that others can reference. And, and 
prayerfully, hopefully follow. So with that in mind, I just want to encourage you as we dig into 1 Corinthians 3, remember that the word of God reveals the love of God. God's love involves directing us, agreed? Actually leading us to what is best for us. Very few children will embrace this concept. Very few children will say, you know, I know my mom and dad are doing what's best for me. Correct? Most of us are like, ah, I know why they had so many kids, so they had free labor. I have to mow them, I have to do everything. You know, we don't, we don't get it. And yet our, our parents, my parents, I don't think it was just a, the old generation. They, they would say things that are currently and contemporarily offensive. Good for you, builds character. You can't say that anymore. That would almost be, you know, you know, lawsuit material. But let's face it. They did those things because they knew that's what's best a parent should do. You know, right now, you, here I go. Oh. I rub my head like this because I think I can reach the editor of my mind that's trying to shut down my mouth, but it just never works. Four-year-olds don't know. They should never be maliciously taught that they can change their gender. They don't know what they want. If they could be what they want, they'd be a cowboy and Indian. It does not make sense. Nine-year-olds should not be able to choose what's best for them. They have no clue. You and I struggle with figuring it out at our age. And to maliciously and, and, and horribly indoctrinate these children that they can do this, they can be this, they can be like this, with authority of a parent, with the position of a teacher, with the power of a politician, to present that that is a, something you can do, tells you and me, people, there's subjective truths that are being erased, but they can't be erased. They can only be smothered. And we live in a time when we got to realize God has set things a certain way for a purpose. And do you know that he has our best in mind all the time? He has your best in mind all the time. He offers love, hope, direction, even through tragedy and despair. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he offers to lead. His love involves direction correction, courage, comfort, faith, hope. It, it, as we in our culture struggle to establish these truths, that's why I make this mention, you've got to know that God has your best in mind. His correction, his conviction, his redirecting the route of your life is for your benefit. He's not a killjoy trying to rob you of a good time. He's actually protecting you from a horrible heartbreak. And if we can, can we embrace that, then when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I, I think we're more receptive to what he really has to say. Let's read through 1 through 11 and come back and, and just kind of take it apart, take a look at it. It begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Verse 5. Who then is Paul? Well, who's Apollos? But ministers from whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor is he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So jump back up to verse 1 and just kind of walk through this. He uh, begins this awkward and difficult discussion. Many of you are familiar with those, whether it's with a a co-worker, maybe a subordinate that's under you, or perhaps it's a neighbor, perhaps it's a, a loved one, maybe children even. Difficult discussions are necessary, agreed? They're just, it, timing is important, uh, motive is important, understanding is important, having a, a human interaction, engagement, you know, compassion and empathy, but we can't avoid the awkward conversations. And really what Paul says here, you know, I, I really wanted to talk to you at a deeper level, but you're a bunch of babies, I mean, I think about that. It's what he's saying. It's like, wait a minute, who are you calling a baby? Because we see the flow of this. He knows they're going to get defensive. He knows there's going to be an element of denial. But what he's conveying and making known, you know, this is going to be difficult, but let's just call it like it is so we cannot take the, the, the easy route to the river, but rather we can ascend into a deeper relationship, a, a higher perspective, if you would. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. See, there's nothing wrong with being a baby in the right season. And that's what he's conveying. Because you think about just what God has made in the human engagement interaction. And holding a baby and and experiencing just their, their joy and just looking at their face and understanding a little bit of their mannerisms and their movements as infants, and especially when it's your child, to, to hold them and, and even hear them say your name, say dada or mama. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. I have never heard anybody say, I hate it when my kids say that to me. You know, at that age, you're like, wow, this is amazing. What a, what a call me, what a beautiful thing. But if that infant ages to 13 and is still acting the same, you're not quite as proud. You're not nearly as excited. That is what he's conveying. In his time, it's okay to be a babe in Christ, but you shouldn't be staying there. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a rational, uh, reasonable, it's, it's a logical understanding that we would mature and grow physically. And there's a parallel to spiritual growth as well. And if we, if we choose not to grow, then it, 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 like he's saying here, I couldn't even talk to you about certain things. Verse 3, you are still carnal. This is not how to win friends and influence people. 
For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So he's going to redirect. Listen, this is still what's happening in your life. You're, you're not growing spiritual. You stalled. No, we didn't. No, I haven't. How can Paul come and make such a, uh, a divisive statement to these wonderful people in Corinth? Because he loved them. And he was willing to say, listen, let's just cut down. Let's, just, let's get to reality here. This is not healthy for you. You're, you're, I wanted to talk to you about these things, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't receive. What's the basis for your claim, Paul? What's the evidence? Because I'll show you in the next portion. Christians don't realize that they can easily become bilingual. They speak their native tongue and their new tongue of Christianese. And what they can do then is justify, find a verse or a passage or a phrase or a song or something on a bumper sticker, and, and they use that to just be what they want to be, and they, they, they throw it about with no change, living in a way that doesn't even, it's, not incon, it's very inconsistent with the direction of Scripture. And they say, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm good. It's not, who, are you, who, are you, who, put, who put you in charge? Get out of my face, what are you doing? What's the evidence for your claim? Well, what's the evidence? Well, we're told right here of, of three things. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and acting like mere men? Isn't, isn't this revealing how you really are? Because the, the carnal mind will, will not agree. The carnal mind will justify. He said in this first verse, in this verse 3, you know, are you not mere men? And then that what he's conveying is you were natural. You were born, uh, you know, a natural man. And then now you're spiritual. You're born again, born of the spirit. But you're acting like this didn't happen. You're acting like you're mere or you're just back where you used to be. And you're not living the way you're called to be. Are you not mere men? Well, what's the evidence? Notice what he said. Envy, which is an element of jealousy. Comparativeness, like, you know, well, I don't know why God's blessing them because, you know, I've done this and this and they don't do that and look how they live and look how, and then they, what's that produce? Friction, strife, where there's these arguments and, and angling and wrangling and it produces something else. It goes from jealousy and envy to engagement, which is strife, to divisions. It's okay to be different, but it's not okay to be indifferent. It's okay to recognize there is variation in variety. I think it's amazing with the true use of the English word diversity. It's beautiful within the body of Christ. I don't believe all, because you know there's different denominations and different gatherings and different things happening in our community right now and across the world that, that recognizes today is Sunday. That doesn't mean that's divisive. It just means we're different. And, and there's a healthy thing to recognize that. Division is a result from indifference. Division is a result of carnality. Verse 4, when you, one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Aren't you horizontally reasoning through your own rebellion, if you would? You can agree. I think we can see how he's, he's walking them through. He said in chapter 1, listen, 
It's been brought to my attention by those of Chloe's household that there's divisions among you. For one says, I'm following Peter. I like his street-level way. I like the way Rocky talks. I just love the way he gets down to business. I like his language. And another says, that's fine for you. You're uneducated. I follow Apollos. He's got better oratory skills. He's got a real gifting and a real enabling. And, and others would say, yeah, that's cool. But Paul had an encounter with the living God, and his life was transformed, and he's the living power evidenced through the presence of Jesus Christ. You know that they argue, like, this is why my bit weighs better. This is why I follow this guy. This is why this is the best. Carnal minds always claim spiritual insight. Always. Because why would they claim anything else within the body of Christ? They're not going to say, well, I'm just a divisive person, and I like to stir the pot. <laughs> Many do that, but nobody admits it. Always remember, people that tilt that way and, and, and engage in the carnal tilt, they're persuasive, they're convincing, they're drawing on empathy and compassion and relationship to promote their position. But what is produced? See, it's hard to sort out sometimes because life is not, I mean, life can be complicated relationally, of course. But what's produced? See, the interesting thing to remember, the product confirms what's planted. You know what? I think I'll plant. Uh, I think I'll plant wheat this year in the field. Here's the wheat. Like somebody that's been around a little longer says, "Hmm, do you know those are corn seeds? Who put you in charge? Don't tell me how to run my life. You're not the authority of my life. Don't tell. Don't, you know. You don't know what you're talking about. Chill, back off, Bubba. Let them plant the seeds. When corn pops up, restrain yourself. Don't say I told you so." You see what I'm saying? Seeds of carnality produce division and envy and strife. And so sometimes you just got to step away from the conversation and see what is, what's it producing. And that makes, it's such a simple thing because that's what he's saying. Listen, is it, is it not natural, horizontal? Is that not what's happening? Notice in verse 5 he says, okay, so continuing this type of engagement, this loving persuasion for them to receive the truth, Who's Paul and who's Apollos? But servants through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I want you to note that Paul does not promote himself or compete against the other servants, does he? Of all people, can we agree? He could have actually very reasonably, logically, on a horizontal plane, presented to them why they should listen to him and not the other guys. He could have appealed very, very, very accurately, I guess, in a logical, horizontal sense. But he doesn't use this opportunity. He's like, yeah, you know what? Listen, I was first. Therefore, you know, I, I did this. This happened to me. Instead, what we see is he just recognizes, why were they competing against the other servants? As you'll go on to show us, if I've been given a gift, why do I boast that I have the gift when I did nothing to earn the gift? It was a gift. It was given by somebody of somebody else's resources for his purposes and, and my benefit, if you would. And so he's saying, you know, why, why do we, what's the big deal? We're servants through whom you've believed. They were, if you would, the agents that God poured himself into and they sought to be used by him to bring vertical heavenly truth to the people in Corinth. And many responded to that. 
And they came into a true and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And now he's teaching them, don't be so immersed in culture that you're born of again, but you're living at a, at a horizontal plane. You're more concerned about the things of this life than the, the things of the life to come and even how to live for God in this day. He's seen himself as a servant, just another servant. How we need more of this today. So often there's this wrangling and subtle and passive aggression that just presenting, well, I, I just because of this and I'm this. And, you know, that happens in, in children's classes. It happens among pastors. I've been to pastors' conferences and stuff. I've seriously been to someone. It's always so subconscious. It's like many other things. It's like, oh, how you doing? Oh, you're serving Idaho. Cool. Yeah, kind of a neat environment. How many people are in your church? Like more than I can count. I only have two hands. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's always, to me, I, I'm fascinated. This is so, and I'm with guys that I relate to doctrinally, and we're, we're on the same page according to distinctives, and it's still subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. I'm like, we're servants. I planted, it says in verse 6, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. Serve knowing he brings the increase. Because God does bring about an increase. Is it numeric? Is it what well, we need to do two, ser two services because the numbers of people? See, that isn't necessarily God's doing, honestly. If, if raw numbers are what confirms God's working, then you have to acknowledge that the cults are doing pretty good. If it's just numbers, agreed? Because numerically, even locally, you know, there's just, you know, whether it's Mormons or I could go off on a few others, that seem to be real popular and real present, so must God must be in it. That does, that's not a measure. Not a measure at all. What is he speaking of? He, he brings the increase. Well, I believe he teaches us how to serve, and he empowers us to be those servants. He increases, in a sense, if you would, in how to serve. If you've served in various capacities, or maybe it's your first step of faith, you're learning how to do that. You're increasing in how you do it. And not only that, he brings an increase in the number of people serving. And here's the, the comparison. Here's the biblical reference. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, he sent servants out into the field for this reason. Because the fields were ripe for harvest. So he sends them out and they go out and they learn how to do that work, but they become overwhelmed. Or they at least look around and go, man, we are, we, there's a lot more to do than we can do. And so instead of using horizontal measures to motivate people to get involved, he says to his servants, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would bring more laborers to work the field, to be in the field. And so do you see, he does bring about increase. We've seen it. You know, we've seen it where, you know, when we first started 24 years ago meeting on Sunday, there were times that, you know, there's just, you know, three or four of us could get the job done. The smaller gathering and the smaller facilities and just everything was smaller. But as we've increased, we realize, okay, God, you, you see, I, let me share my brain a little bit. Understand, it's not irreverent or disrespectful. It's, I just got to be, I can't be philosophical. I just, I'm just wired practical. So I pray, God, here's a situation. You made a problem for us. You created kind of an issue. You brought more people in. Because you brought more people, they didn't leave their children at home. They brought them with them. 
And so when they brought them with them, we need to have a place for them. We need to have a place where they can grasp the concepts and be presented the truth and engage and have a little activity and, and do things that children do so they can still receive the truth. So, but we don't have anybody to do that. So what I could do is I could start a chart and I could put a list up here of those of you who are the most faithful and those of you who are really participating. I could use that as a way to compete and get you plugged in or we can do what we've done for 24 years. Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. We need more workers. We need more people to be involved. We need more engagement, more interaction. We need you to bring about the increase. And he does. He does. It's so fascinating because sometimes it, re it requires a lot of patience, but most of the time it, even, it can be almost like instantaneous. Not only does it bring the increase in how to serve and the number of servants, he brings the increase in the fruit of serving. Not just the overall fruit of investing into people, spiritual truths, but in your own life. You, you learn the joy of serving. It, it's a foreign concept. As I said that, my mind is still going, what? For 30 years, I've been learning this. And, and I'm learning it more and more, and I embrace it more and more. But the natural mind still says, yeah, but what, what do you, you could be doing this. It's, I've had opportunity, real quickly, to, to do amazing things. God in my life, I, I just fascinating because he's always connected me with people that are really good at the foolish things I'm interested in. So it's, it's not that it's foolish as much as my priorities are tilted. So I decided I want to ski because I hadn't skied before. It seemed like, you know, I was in 8, 19, 20, I don't know. I said, you know what, I need to do that. So he connects me with a guy who I follow him uh, bogus. I follow him down the hill the first day. We come back the next day, and at noon, we're skiing black diamond runs on the backside. Well, I'm tumbling on them, but, you know, I mean, it's like I'm learning, like, wow, this is, you know, but it just, it didn't, it didn't satisfy. He connected me with a guy who was a really good golfer, a guy I had a good relationship with, and, and I, I, I did better. He connected me with a guy bowling, and I'm, I'm rolling, you know, these, you know, it just was, I'm not going to get into all the details because it's just one thing after another. I got connected with a guy who loved fishing. He ran a bass pro shop. And him and I spent way too much time together. And Kim cried herself to sleep and prayed that her husband would wake up. But the point I'm saying is I've got to experience things that I thought would be that. That would be it. If I had that, if I arrived at that, if I experienced that, that would be ah. Every one of them left me sadly disappointed. And I didn't even realize it because I was actually pursuing things. Now, many of, this, many of these things I'm talking about was as a believer. And so I had misplaced priorities. I raced motocross. I got connected with the number one and number two riders in the state. I could literally go on and on all these things I've been able to experience. But what I realized, those things in and of themselves are fine. It's when I think they're going to give me happiness. They're going to satisfy. They're going to be, yeah, what I've learned, there's no greater joy than to walk in love and know you've been used by God. To pray with someone and to be a part of their lives in such a way that they are taken from the grip of darkness in this miry clay and you are used by God to, to take them out of that and place them in the light, place them on the sure foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. There's, no, there's nothing that compares to that. There's such a, an increase in a joy in serving. When you, you see what God's doing and you're willing to just stay back and let him get the glory and recognize you've just been given something 
You have a gift. You have an enabling, which every one of us do. As a born-again Christian, you are gifted, you're empowered, you are enabled, and you're even given a measure of faith that's needed for that time. And where we get to be a part of eternal work. And I tell you, I, I can't say it enough. It's exciting. You see, also in verse 8, it's rewarding. He who plants and he who waters are one. Interdependent, you could say. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. See, there's a reward for serving. Uh, uh, God does know, and he, um, I don't know if I should fair to say compensates, but he rewards, it recompenses, recognizes, you know, your faithfulness. God is not holding Paul's feet to the fire for how many people receive the gospel. He's not measuring off the results. He's measuring off the relationship. He's measuring off faithfulness. And it's so important to realize that. It's very specific here that there is a recognition, a reward for, for what you do. For your, and it doesn't just say for your agreement with the concept, but rather your labor to measure your sweat. We're told also in Corinthians later that God will hold us accountable for what we've done with what he's given us. We'll give an account for what we've done with what he's given us. Now, that's not just resources. It's mostly relationships and resources. So get this. This is that redirection for many of us, a realization. God knows who's laboring and who's coasting. God knows who labors in faith and who's a slacker. Oftentimes I get these odd email and, and, and not always supportive. I don't know what it is about the way I speak that some people find it offensive. <laughs> but I, I'm really not here to please people. I, I'm wrong. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sinning if I come in with the intent to offend. To offend. That's, that's not right. But if I present the truth, if we walk in truth in the world we live in, God is just calling us to be faithful. You, know, you, as a Christian, every Christian has this deep desire embedded in their heart because of their relationship with God. This is the desire that you'll hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Good and faithful. It doesn't say, you know, combative. Well done, you know, you know, you have such a high yield, a high output. It's not about, it's about what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And I, I do like to simplify. I'm, I, I have to be true to what God's doing in my life. I, I can't embrace, you know, high syllable counts and lengthy sentences that emphasize philosophy at the expense of practicality. Well done, good and faithful servant. How's that happen? It's real simple. As you know that you're the servant, you would hear from the Lord. And the Lord would give you direction, give you reveal from his word what it would mean to be faithful. And then you follow faithfully because he empowers you and enables you to be faithful. And, and that's what you do. You have to be willing to know you're a servant, know he speaks, obey in his strength for his glory and, and results in your joy. It's really super simple. Isn't it? Can, I, can we agree that? That's real simple. Know who you are, know who he is walk in his strength under his direction because he knows who's a slacker what's a slacker in the church you know I, I, I'm going to go through this list of names I've got just kidding <laughs> a slacker you've worked with you know them 
Don't shout out any names because that's too much controversy. But you know them. They're the ones that are just standing around. I'm not doing everything. Everybody knows. Everybody else is sweating. And there's the slackers. And as soon as the boss shows up, man, they got the shovel. They're up and moving. They're on it. And the boss is like, dude, he is a hard worker. And you're like, are you serious? But you can't say, are you serious? Because the got bosses and working hard. And so then, you know, he's just kind of coasting along. Boss leaves. He goes back to slack. Is that too harsh in the church? <laughs> Maybe. But let's face it. You're not endeared to a slacker, correct? You don't go, I love when he shows up to help. Because he doesn't do anything, but he gets all the credit. You don't do that. You just go, wait. And God's saying, listen, don't be, don't be silly. Don't be, you know, just thinking, well, it's different for me. It doesn't apply to me. Because ultimately, he knows who this text says. This is not my opinion. This is the text. He knows who labors. He knows. You know, some things are harder for others, than, but it's just about faithfulness. Verse 9, he shifts the analogy, if you would. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. These are analogies to help you and I understand that he's taken a horizontal understanding, an observable reality based on natural principles. He's, he's bringing things forward so that we can understand using these things to get a vertical truth. It's much what, like what Jesus did with parables, right? A parable, if you would, is a, a natural truth that he re- uses to reveal a spiritual axiom or principle. So Jesus said, oh, the kingdom of God is like this. And so then he would use oftentimes you know, uh, principles related to farming or things that the people knew. And so here we have the same thing. It's like this is, this is brought forth for our understanding. They help us to understand a hor- horizontal example used to convey a vertical or spiritual truth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Sorry, I jumped down the wrong verse. For we are God's fellow workers. He, working with God, empowered by God. But they understood it was God's work. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. That's, the, that's where they're going to, and they're, and they're bringing the truth, and seeing people come, become born again, seeing people grow. You are God's building. Speaking of the church, the body of Christ is, is God's building. You could take it even further to realize this, we'll see later, that the Christian, the born-again Christian, is, is, is literally helps us to see that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You understand what that's conveying, right? That, that building was, was conveyed to people. This, this temple represented the dwelling place, the residence of God, so to speak. And what's he telling you and me? We're the building. He literally indwells us, and we're to, we're to honor him. We're to walk in truth with him. You know, we, we, we're to recognize him. We are his building. No, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. You and I, in the, as we begin as Christians, and we start immersing ourselves in the word of God, and we start realizing the agents the instruments, the vessels that God brings his truth through. The Apostle John, uh, Peter, um, he, we can see Moses. We see these and we wow, that's something. Paul, wow, he was, he's different. He was really, you know, God really empowered. and He was special before God. He was preferred. No, he wasn't. 
He wasn't preferred. He wasn't more equipped. He wasn't placed above the carnal Christians in Corinth. Paul, as you see from this text, was transformed by the grace of God which was given to him. I think one of the most powerful things you see here is he was just a person who encountered the living God and that encounter redirected his life. Literally, a new life began and he chose to follow that because you know Paul was transformed by the grace of God and he continued to walk in the grace of God. It's, it's very important. It's very essential, if you would, to be in a faithful servant. Those who have been forgiven much do what? Love much. It's a principle. It's observable truth in our world that those who are genuine and honest, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. Do you think Paul was forgiven much? The apostle Paul, whose name previously was Saul, sought to eliminate and end this movement called Christianity. He even at one point held the coats so that what we know as the first martyr of the church from, according to scripture, Stephen, Stephen was stoned to death. Now Paul, he's a spiritual man. I'll just give you my thumbs up and guard the stuff, but you know, I'm not pitching no boulders. I'm not chucking rocks. You guys do that, but you know, he, he, he okayed it. Do you think that he heard the, the, the scene, the effect of his compromise? He had to have. That had to be a, a, a memory in his mind. Do you know he, he, he came in and separated mother and daughter and child? He, he, the Bible says he wreaked havoc on the church. And then he was saved by the grace of God. And I believe Paul throughout his life, this is just my opinion, do what you want with it, but I believe his human experience prior to being saved had an impact on his new life. And, and with deep regret at times, and even disappointment, he's seen how he used to be. But rather than try to perform and, and kind of balance the scales by doing more, he realized, I have been saved by unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. It is, God, you have forgiven me so much. And because that magnitude of love, I know, I want to walk in that truth. I want that love to continue to shape me. I want it to continue to change me. Those who have been forgiven much, love much, and I believe he exemplifies, if you would, living by love and because of love. Verse 11, let's wrap this up. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is our faith based on? What is your faith based on? What's the foundation we build on? You're going to see, you already have seen if you've been looking, you're going to see what's presented as the church deviate from this truth. I'm not speaking prophetically. I'm just sharing what the word of God says. We've already seen it in the last decade especially, maybe even further than that. The church is emphasizing what the world says. The church is deviating from what they present as the harshness of the gospel, the brutality of the gospel, the horrific visual that the cross represents. We will never, I will never, by the grace of God, I will never water down the gospel. I will never deviate. You will not either. If I did, I hope you'd go somewhere else. Because the simplicity and the truth is, this is the foundation. I'm going to build on what was handed to me. The Apostle Paul was one of the early church, and we can look historically, and you and I are living in human history to where it's been handed off generation to generation. I will not embrace contemporary concepts in regards to the truth of the gospel. I will not. I cannot. The Bible does not let me. 
Jesus Christ died for our sins, crucified, brutally beaten, hung as a public display, mocked and spit upon, placed inside of a tomb, considered a total loss, rose from the dead, conveyed love, and empowered people to walk with this new life. There's nothing more to build on. When you build on the new books, and you build on the new movement, and you build on the greater understanding, and all the silliness that is earthly wisdom, when you build on that, you're going to reap the rewards of that. And we're going to see it. And when I say the church, I'm just speaking of those who associate by the name. There's a difference between those who use that name and the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that are born again, born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. All right, four minutes over. Um, that means I'll probably just pray longer. I want to have the worship team come up. It, I mean, the second service, you know, it's like, we're still not, we're not doing a third service, so yeah. I say that jokingly, but uh, I just love our Sunday school teachers. And the longer I go, your children go crazy. So we're just going to like, we're going to, we're going to, they know they, they, they're very well oiled clocks. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. We're going to close with, as you know, I like to close with a portion of scripture that capsulizes and summarizes much of the, what we've looked at. And, and today we're able to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Chapter 5 has these beautiful capsulized verses, whether it's verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, do not quench the spirit, all these things, abstain from every form of evil. But we're going to look at 23 through 25 as we pray together. Let's pray. God, thank you. For today, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you can do what only, you would do what only you can do. You can take these thoughts and concepts and ideas and um, analogies or examples, Lord. And you can sort them out and you can really use them and, and, and bring them to our awareness and, and help us to walk in the strength needed in the days we live in. To have compassion and empathy and kindness towards others. And also to be changed by you as you would empower us to walk in truth, that you, God, you are the God of peace, and you alone can sanctify us completely. Set us apart for your purposes in our area of weakness, in the areas of resistance or stubbornness. Bring insight, bring a softening, bring your truth in a new way, God. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved by you, God, blameless at the, your return. We are eager for your return. We know, God, that at some moment, the last person in this age of the Gentiles will put their faith in you. And in that moment, we, God, will be called up, raptured to your presence, enjoying life as you have created it to be for eternity. And so, Lord, we look forward to your return. We believe you are faithful. You will also accomplish these things. And so, Lord, we pray one for another. Thank you, God. It's in your beautiful name, your awesome name, Jesus. We pray, we sing to you in your name. Amen.